0: Hi, I'm Dr. Don Welch, licensed marriage and family therapist, and welcome to the My Therapist Says podcast, where I moderate discussions between various relationship experts from medical doctors to licensed mental health professionals to enrich relationship skills and communication. This podcast seeks to bring healing and hope to what matters most in our lives, our relationships. If you would like even more content or to speak with a therapist, you can visit us at www.enrichingrelationships.org. Thank you and enjoy. Good evening to each and every one of you. I welcome you to My Therapist Says. This is close to our 60th My Therapist Says. We've been at this a few years and I'm very excited about tonight's topic. There may be some that weren't able to come because they're in the blues, and so they couldn't even make it here tonight. But tonight, as you know, as you can see, the the title up here, that's the wrong title. I guess That's I'm I'm looking at something there, is when we we look at the the blues, this sense of New Year's blues busters. So thank you for being here tonight. Tonight, you should have an experience as though you have a therapist right in your living room, and that you're discussing these issues with that therapist. Again, I know of no other venue except for a new My Therapist Says that is beginning in North County next Wednesday evening, led by Kimberly Nelson. Many of you have heard her present and be a part of us. They're they're conducting that in the northern part of... Uh, Of our city here, which is going to be very exciting to see how that develops, and we'll be giving more information about that. My name is Don Welch. I'm the counseling pastor here at Skyline. Thank you for being here uh, tonight. What we'll be doing, if you have a three-by-five card, would you raise that in the air? I just want to make sure that everyone thank you that you have a three-by-five card. That is your ticket, if you will, to discussing directly with us as the panel members. I'm the moderator and then we have our our three panel members. If you have a question or something you would like discussed around the topic tonight, if you would just write that on the 3x5 card at any time. In fact, if you've written a question now, would you just raise it in the air and we will have one of our, we have one right here. Thank you, one of our hosts. Pick that up and bring that to me at any time during the evening you have a question or say the panel is discussing a particular uh, topic within our topic tonight and you'd like to say something, you can actually write another question or a statement on a three by five card, raise it in the air at any time, it will be brought to me. If you would like to verbally discuss the topic with our panel members and myself, all you have to do, thank you, is to raise your hand without the three by five card Okay, with my students at the university, I usually say something like this and then someone will raise their hand and ask an obvious question. So I always repeat myself, so forgive me. If you have a 3x5 card and you raise it, that will be taken. If you raise your hand without the 3x5 card, we will hand you a microphone and you'll be able to interact. Please know that these are audio tape. We have people around the world actually from different countries who actually have listened to our My Therapist Says because the topics are very pertinent and fortunately we have these therapists who are willing to join us in these events. So as we begin tonight, I'd like to have a word of prayer and then I'll give a brief introduction of each one of our uh, participants this evening. You may notice we only have one screen. If you're new to the church or have not been here, because we do advertise through other uh, venues to invite people outside of our local church, you may notice we now have a skate park in our sanctuary. I don't know of many churches that have a skate park right in their sanctuary and then a basketball hoop over here. We are about to embark on moving from this sanctuary into our sanctuary just up on the hill. You may have seen it, February 26th. It's going to be an exciting day to see this beautiful sanctuary that has kind of arisen here in the last year. And so that's why you see all of these other activities that my kids are going to enjoy because my son loves basketball and he loves skate parks. Um and he may just decide to move in here. I don't know, as I'm looking at this. So, the first time I've really seen that, we've been on vacation. So, so glad you're here tonight. We pray that uh, this will be a wonderful evening for you. We've already prayed together, been in prayer about this evening, and pray that God will bless you in the discussion of this topic this evening. Let's have a word of prayer, and then I'll quickly introduce our panel members and then Dr. Marcel Fallon is going to present for us a 20-minute, to 15-20-minute presentation on the topic. And then we'll move right into our discussion. Thank you. There's a second question. So anyone else have any questions, just raise them in the air and we will pick those up and bring them up front. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you so much for the privilege of knowing your truth. Your truth sets us free. In fact, your truth brings health into relationship. There's no healthy relationship without truth when there's distrust or misunderstanding that causes question whether or not the person is truthful with us, that relationship is moving toward a very, very difficult and perhaps even challenging times. So we pray tonight, Father, as we look at January, this particular month of the year where so many people are depressed. The research has shown it very clearly. Certainly, you know about people and each person who may be facing depression or the blues or a semi-sort of depression or concerns or anxiety. We pray tonight as we deal with this topic that your name would be blessed. We pray that all that we do tonight would point each of us to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who brings truth. He who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Your truth sets us free. So we pray for that tonight. Thank you so much. We give you praise for this evening and we grant it to you this evening that you would do your work in each of our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I've been thrilled over these years to have participated in My Therapist Says is that I'm able to work with uh, panel members such as the panel before you this evening. I I say this because each person that's ever participated in My Therapist Says has actually never received a paycheck. So if you didn't know that you may want to step off the platform, <laughs> but I'm teasing a little bit that we really didn't, never have had a budget for this. And this has been actually a gift from these therapists, physicians. Uh, we've had attorneys, we've had realtors uh, that have participated in this. One way that I can invite them to participate with us is that if you happen to see one of the therapists and listen and say, you know, I think I might be able to be helped by them in a therapeutic setting. Their cards are in the back on a table and you can just talk with them after the session this evening. So I'm really privileged to... uh, work with these people. I don't know if you know that most therapists in the state of California is a little higher than others but a going fee right now in our area is 150 an hour and so they're giving us a great gift by being with us uh, financially with their own family and and their time. So real quickly you, you're able to see on one screen uh, the bio and background of our panel members. Dr. Marcel Flan is not new to us. Many of you knew him for 12 years at Shadow Mountain where he was the family pastor. Now I'm privileged to to serve alongside of him in our, in our Center for Enriching Relationships. He's our Director of uh, Pastor Church and Community Relations, and he was willing to come tonight and be with us. I had invited him to be the keynote speaker tonight, so thank you. He's been here many times and has given us great wisdom. He has a ability to combine biblical truth and therapeutic understanding. Jessica White is with us, and we're so pleased to have her. She has tremendous skill and background Um, in working with addictive behaviors, addictions, uh, people who may be caught up in in methods and ways to try to decrease or de-escalate their anxiety, which is really what we're talking about tonight. So she's going to bring a wonderful uh, part of this evening. And this is actually Reverend uh, Dennis Estelle who is with us and he's also part of the Center for Enriching Relationships. Uh, Dennis has served as actually a district superintendent, a leader over numerous churches in his denomination. And he's a wonderful therapist and a a wonderful family man. He he does not look, he does not look the fact that he has Grandchildren. I always think of that with Dennis, but he's a wonderful family man, and I've had opportunity to meet his wife and, and uh, get better acquainted with them. so thank you, Dennis, for being with us. Well as we begin, I do have uh, three questions. If you have a question, just put it in the air, and now Dr. Marcial Fallon is going to lead us in a brief uh, presentation. You should have a copy of that, and we should also be showing it right up here on the screen. Marcel.
1: Am I on, John? Yeah, you can hear me now. All right well uh, happy new year everybody and uh, thank you for coming out tonight don thank you for that gracious introduction i know i speak for myself of your how much i admire and appreciate your articulate and uh your affirming mm-hmm. uh, encouragement not only for i know i speak for the other panel members as well mm-hmm. thank you don don't you appreciate this guy i know i do let's give him a hand right now
2: thank he's you. awesome
1: well as we start about as we start a new year we often think about a new year as a time for new beginnings. And one of the things that most often happens is we think about resolutions at this time, things that we want to resolve to do that we didn't do or want to do in this new year or stop doing maybe from the year before. And you could probably finish the sentence uh, that says, I resolve this year to... Something come to your mind. Maybe it's diet. Maybe it's go to the gym every day. Uh, I went online to talk uh, to do little research for this talk, and I came across uh, some things about that that said what not to resolve. And interesting enough, one of them was uh, go on a huge diet. Another was hit the gym every day, pay off my credit cards. I'll make an effort to see my family more, drink less, Maybe somebody said drink more. Uh, I'm going to take up a new hobby. I'm going to read more. It says don't do that because so many times we'll end up defeating ourselves by not fulfilling those things because they're not realistic. But uh, I I don't want to focus so much on that kind of thing tonight. What I want to do is uh, draw your attention to what God's word says to us and has to say to us about how we can beat the New Year's blues. I want to start out with Scripture in your hand out there, uh, a verse of Scripture, which I think is very ap- applicable to what we're talking about tonight, and I'll draw your attention to portions of that to help in that way. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 says, Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus." Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, the emphasis is mine and the bold uh, as well in your handout is there. But uh, I wanted to draw attention to that aspect of... Forgetting that which lies behind and pressing on. The Apostle Paul wrote these words. And, you know, I have a feeling that as he was writing these words, there were many things that came to his mind from his past that he had fallen short on. We all know that the Apostle Paul was there at the stoning of Stephen. And he went out vehemently to persecute the church. And who knows how many lives women, men, children that he was responsible for seeing destroyed as a result of his misguided zeal to persecute the church. And I have a feeling that there were times when he probably had to struggle with some of those thoughts from his past. And and that's why it makes this so important to say that even though he had those things, he had to leave them behind. And, And I think there's a word for us in that, that we need to think about leaving those things behind and pressing on as I was reading Oswald Chambers, who's one of my friends on the next slide, there's a slide that you see on the screen now and in your handouts. Uh, january thirty first, I thought was so cool. the whole uh, the whole from his uh, Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. that whole one, that whole devotional was so wonderful for that day. But the part that I really liked the most were the words that you have here. He ends the devotional for that day. The end of the, and I apologize, that should be December 31st instead of January 31st. I made a mistake there. It says, Let the past rest. Let it rest in the sweet embrace of Christ. Leave the broken, irresistible past in his hands and step out into the invincible future with him. You know, I thought that was so. Applicable because, especially along with the verse that I just read to you from Philippians chapter 3, in that you know, we can get stuck in the past, we can let the past really create us uh, create hang ups for us, and this is why it's so important to think about as Paul encourages us to do to forget the things in the past but look forward to the future. And Oswald Chambers also brings that to mind when he says, You know. Leave those in the sweet hands of Jesus. Let the past stay there in his hands. And remember that we are called to step out into the invincible future with him. And that's what we have. We have in Christ that opportunity as we think about starting the new year. Along those lines, I also wanted to affirm us with the truth of God's Word and in not focusing on maybe what we didn't accomplish or focusing on mistakes and things from the past, but focusing this year to help us beat the blues on, on, on the truth and the reality of who we are in Christ. Because it's, as, as Don prayed, it's it's that truth that will set us free, and I'm convinced personally through my own experience and walk with christ now for since 1974 i have a spiritual birthday today by the way 1974 january 4th on my way to prison i rededicated my life to christ and so can we give jesus a hand for his faithfulness spiritual birthday in the recovery movement, those are significant dates, and there's there's your belly button birthday, there's your spiritual birthday, then there's your sobriety birthdays, and so this is my spiritual kind of birthday today, giving God glory. But focusing on who we are in Christ, and uh, this is truth, and if we can if we can renew our minds with truth, it can impact our future and give us great hope for what God wants to do in us and through us, and impacting not only our lives, but also the lives of others. So I included on your handouts, their small slides. You may not be able to read them, but I asked Donna and Donna Train so graciously and wonderfully put this all together for us. Thank you, Donna. I asked her to include this in a handout at the back of your uh, slides because I was afraid you wouldn't be able to read them. And I wanted. to I want to take the time. I want to invite you to join me right now in let's read out loud together these scriptural truths of who we are as children of God. Follow along with me. We're not going to read the verses that uh, go along with each one, but each one of these is accompanied by the truth from God's word in Scripture, which you can go back and look up, and I would encourage you to do so on your own. But read along with me out loud, would you? I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord and one with him in spirit. I have been bought with a price. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I can't hear you. Okay, come on, let's go. I am a saint. I have been adopted as God's child. I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. I am free forever from condemnation. I am assured that all things work together for good. I am free from any condemning charges against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am confident that the good work God has begun in me will be perfected. I am a citizen of heaven. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I can find grace and mercy in time of need. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. I am the salt and light of the earth. I am a branch of the true vine, a channel of his life. I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I am a personal witness of Christ. I am God's temple. I am a minister of reconciliation. I am God's co-worker. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. I am God's workmanship. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And on the screen I put up there to, to kind of close this off. I am not the great I am, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know, folks, this is the truth of God's word. I I remember one time I was presenting these in a workshop and I use these in so many things because if we can truly grasp who we are in Christ, the power of that can be liberating. And I was going through this one time with a group of people and afterwards one of the ladies in the front row said, yeah, and we ended up giving each other high fives. It was so awesome. And, and and that's the, the that's what the truth of God should do in our spirits. It should it should wake us up and liberate us to the point to where we feel free and we understand that the truth of God's word will transform and set us free. And these affirmations are not mine. I I, I should have footnoted them for you. They're from Dr. Neil Anderson's uh, book "Victory Over the Darkness," and and this teaching that he has in that book and then a subsequent book, uh, which were bestsellers for many years, The Bondage Breaker, uh, transformed my life and uh, enabled me to overcome uh, sexual addiction and anger and other things in my life that were so much a part of my life that I didn't want a part uh, for many years. I got free from drugs and alcohol about six months after my spiritual birthday in 1974. But those things plagued me on into my life for many years. And I'm free today, and I praise God, and I give Him glory and honor for that, and have been for many years. But it was this truth that we shared that was foundational. And they call it positional truth. This is our position in Christ. This is who we are. And I hope this year, I want to encourage you to focus on the truth of who you are in Christ and grasp the significance. And what Dr. Neil Anderson says, that if you have trouble seeing these things, seeing yourself as these If you went through this list and you said, you know, that's not me. What Dr. Anderson suggests, and I would encourage you to do this as well, is stand in front of a mirror at least once a day and say them out loud, just as we read them out loud here, so that you can hear the truth and see yourself in the mirror as you're hearing those affirmations of truth to transform your mind, because this is who you are. This is who we are. And not only that, but on the next page... This is what we have as a result of Christ. And we're not going to take the time to read these out loud, but all of the benefits that are ours in Christ because of the cross are listed for you. Well, I can't say they're all, but many of them are listed for you there. I'll just read a few of them. Since I am in Christ, and this is how you read this list. Since I am in Christ by the grace of God, I have been justified, completely forgiven, and made righteous. I've died with Christ, and died to the power of sin's rule over my life. I am free forever from condemnation. I have been placed into Christ by God's doing. I have received the Spirit of God into my life that I might know the things freely given to me by God. I have been given the mind of Christ. And I could go on, and and these truths as well, as we grasp the reality of all that is ours in the cross, are powerful, powerful and can lift us out of and over any blues or struggles that we may have in our life as we consider how to face the future. I want to draw your attention to affirming who we are in Christ and focusing and meditating regularly on what is ours in Christ, what has been accomplished for us in the cross. And that's why I've included them for you. Because if we can memorize and meditate on these truths, I am convinced it will turn, it will renew your lives and turn your life around, wherever you are, and certainly keep you from beating the blues. Also, uh, in your handouts there, uh, on slide, I included on, uh, I think it's slide number 10, jumping ahead past the since we are in Christ, is the importance of making sure that we Focus on, again what Colossians chapter two, verse six and uh, six and seven say, and that is having an attitude of gratitude. Colossians two six and seven says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been fr- freely uh, excuse me, having been fr- firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude, overflowing with gratitude. I'm going to come back to that word when I close another verse that I have here. But uh, I want to just bring your attention to the word gratitude there. And that is the Greek word uh, eucharista. And, and that's another, another translation for that word is thanksgiving. And another way to look at that is the grateful acknowledgement of God's mercy, chiefly in prayer, that's what that word means, to have gratitude, to be thankful, and to be grateful in the acknowledgement of God's mercy mercy chiefly in prayer. Uh, you know one of the things that can change our minds renew our minds and change our attitudes is if we can make what's called a gratitude list. Maybe you've done this or heard of this before, but even secular psychologists have studied and realized the power of being grateful. A gratitude list are things that you're thankful for in the past year. You know, we all have a choice. And, and you know, I love so much of Scripture because so much of it is about our mind. It's, it's what we call very cognitive. And that's a secular therapy, is cognitive behavioral therapy. And I believe Paul was one of the first cognitive therapists. Because it has to do so much with our minds. And also, I didn't include this in your handout, but being gratitude, being grateful. You know that gratitude is one of the fleeting of all emotions? You know, it's one of the fleeting of all emotions. And so, isn't that sad that, that you know, we can get a raise in our paycheck? And you know how long they say a raise makes a worker happy? from the first time he deposits that freight check. After that, he's looking for more. You know, gratitude, that fleeting of emotions. But the Apostle Paul, again, using our minds, wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. And now, brothers and sisters, one final thing. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable and right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think of on things that are excellent and worthy of praise. This is what Paul com- literally, again, in Greek, he's commanding us. He, he speaks this word in the command voice, and the tense is ongoing. So, if we were to put that into the way that it's to be read from the Greek, it's I, Paul, command you, Christian brothers and sisters, to let your minds constantly and always continually. Think about the things that are true, honorable, and right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think on the things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Can you imagine if we did that, if we took that command to heart and always constantly focused on those things, what a difference that could make in helping us to overcome New Year's blues or or other hurts, habits, or hang-ups that we may struggle with in our lives? Well, keep that in mind as we go forward. And I want to close with this last verse, which has been a tremendous blessing to me. Dennis and Jessica and Don heard me this morning, but this verse has been a real blessing to me. And I thought it'd be applicable for us as we look into, forward to the new year. And that's Romans fifteen thirteen. Would you read it out loud with me? It's if you're on the screen or on your handout. Uh, it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we live in some pretty tough times. Our country has probably not faced an economic downturn like we have since that of the Great Depression many, many years ago. And it's easy to despair if we focus on the wrong things, if we don't think upon the things that are honorable, that are that are uh, true, that are lovely, that are uh, excellent and praiseworthy. And we can lose hope. But God is a God of hope. The God we serve is the God of hope. And he wants us, he wants to fill us. Not only just fill us, but he wants us to overflow with hope. And I read that word and talked about that in Colossians chapter 2, 6 through 7, about overflowing. Picture, if you will, a cup that is flowing over. Our God wants to fill our lives like a cup. He has an inexhaustible source of hope. And this hope that he talks about in this verse is not the kind of hope that we may say, hey, hope you have a nice day, or, or, uh, you know. It's the Christian hope that we have is that of confident assurance and expectation. That's, God is the source of that hope for us in our futures. And he wants to fill us to overflowing. But we have a choice. We have to choose to trust him. No, I should say, we have the opportunity. We can get to trust him. He, he lets us. He says, you can do that. He says, if you want to. We can have the opportunity to choose to trust him so that we can overflow by hope. And, and, and he hasn't left us without a helper to do that. We know that he's given us his Holy Spirit, who is his helper, who is the comforter, to come alongside us to give us that power. And that power that the Holy Spirit gives us is the same power, Paul tells us in Ephesians, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Wow. We can't even fathom that kind of power. When was the last time you saw somebody rise up from the dead? Probably not recently, if ever. That power is the power that lives in us, that can help us to live triumphantly over whatever obstacles or challenges that we may face, not only from our past, but also in our future as we look forward to 2012. And I like the way that Eugene Peterson, I think he's the one who wrote the message, he says this in his paraphrase, of the, uh, of the language from Scripture in Romans 15, 13. Oh, may the God of green hope, I don't know where that word green hope came from, but it's, it's pretty cool. May the God of green hope fill you up with joy, fill you up with peace, so that your believing lives filled with the life, the giving energy of the Holy Spirit, will brim over with hope. I don't know about you, but when I focus on that kind of thing, that can help me beat the blues. And so I hope that the truths that we've talked about of understanding who we are in Christ, of not focusing on that which is behind and focusing our mind instead of on things that are, that we can be grateful for will help you as you go forward in this new year to, to beat the blues as we face the new year with confidence because our God
0: is a God of hope. Thank you. Join me in thanking him. Thank you, Dr. Fulan. Now, aren't you glad you came here tonight because you've been actually filled with his truth, the truth of Jesus Christ let go to the first question if we can. We're going to jump right into this. By the way, if you have a three by five card, please feel, to raise, uh, feel free to raise that in the air and we will bring that to the front here. Here's the first question of the evening that we can respond to. It's very apropos to the title for this evening. My daughter, who is a high school freshman, told me yesterday that she's depressed that Christmas is over. She's still on break, so it's not because she's back to school yet. She's never displayed this sadness. What should I think or do? There's the question. My daughter, who's in a high school freshman, told me yesterday that she's depressed, that Christmas is over, and what should I think or what should I do? How would you respond to that, these therapists? It's on. It's on. Okay.
3: Hello? Yes. Um, Hi, I'm Jessica White. Um, I would like to make a suggestion to maybe try to sit down with her and try to, you know, have her tell you more about that, you know, because I think being a teenager, it's really hard just to talk about things in general just because they're so fragile and insecure and awkward, (laughs) just being a teenager, and so... um, Maybe really trying to create a safe space for her. Maybe you can even set up some type of um, pre—not preamble, but statement before. You know, I just want to let you know this is a really. I want you. You can tell me. You know, whatever comes out, it'll be. You know, if if it can, you know, uh, we always want you to be true to your word. But you know, maybe there is something more than you know about that's going on with her. You know, maybe it's with her friends, or maybe something in her own private life that you may not be aware of that could be you know influencing her, maybe she's struggling with something. Um, so maybe if, if you two have a relationship where you could talk about things, maybe have her, try to tell you more about that and really mm-hmm. create a space for her. And I would really urge you to try to listen and be comfortable in those mm-hmm. uncomfortable, pauses where nobody knows what to say because she will say something because sometimes it seems like parents want to rush in to fill in the quiet gaps but sometimes the most beautiful most precious things come out they just need time for those things to come out that would just be really patient really pray for the holy spirit to come out you know and hopefully she can talk. And if she can't, you know, there always is a therapist. And maybe if that's something that you'd like to partake in, then maybe we could help you create that atmosphere
0: for her to speak with. Beautifully said. Can we can we tie into that concept of a safe space, a safe emotional space? That sometimes we as parents may not even know how to dialogue with that person. Could we as therapists help to give, uh, to build on what Jessica just said? What are, what, are, what are ways in which we can language or create? The, you actually illustrated some of the, when there's silence, you know, to be able to sit with that and not have to fill the space. Give us a little more, uh, building on this, a little more practical application of how we can create the safe space that Jessica is suggesting. What's, what's a way to language, to talk to that person?
2: Well, one of the things I, I was reminded, my five-year-old grandson came to me a while ago and said, "Papa, I'm sad." And I thought my first response would have, was, was, "What do you have to be sad about? <laughs> Come on, you're a five-year-old. You got no. You have no concerns, no cares in the world. you are got loving mom and dad." Um, And I think that probably would be one of the things I would suggest that we not do when we're talking to someone who has expressed uh, feelings of sadness or depression is to minimize it. Um, The other thing I I think we can do is to over uh, dramatize it and make it into something much bigger than it is. And in fact, our our topic tonight is about um, seasonal blues and the realization that this is the time of the year when uh, it is uh, common maybe even uh, typical to experience that and so she may be not just tying into the uh, the christmas you know i mean how much more special does it get than christmas and now we're living this ordinary life But there's a lot of other factors at work during this time of the year, the seasonal uh, time adjustments, the darkness, uh, the shorter days, um, your daughter's not in school, so she doesn't have that purpose. So there's a lot of reasons why she might uh, be depressed and why we, we all might be a little depressed. Uh, and to just talk those things through, I think as Jessica said, it's just, it's a great opportunity to open up uh, a conversation with your your teenager over something that uh, if you present it in a way that this is something a lot of us are feeling. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned it to me. So, and I think that's very helpful. We're all anxious to find out how Papa responded to the question about <laughs> sadness. <laughs> if you're willing. Uh, yeah, well, understand, he doesn't have the language of saying, I'm depressed. But I think that that's kind of what he was, uh, he was expressing, I, which he feels when, we, when there's displeasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it was, I, I took him up, you know, I, I said to him, I go, you know what makes me feel better? And I think it's probably all of us. You know what makes me feel better when I'm feeling sad? And he said, no. And I says, just for somebody to hug me, hmm. to tell me that they love me. Hmm. And I says, I want to do that to you, too. <laughs> and um, and I think that sometimes is a, is, a, is a great antidote uh, to mild mild depression. Yeah, Certainly for a five-year-old. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Wonderful.
0: Well, the next question here, and by the way, again, if you have a question, or you'd like to respond by microphone, just raise your hand without the three-by-five card. This particular Uh, question. It it really fits tonight, again, related to what do we do with some of these concepts. Like it says, if I'm depressed, why do I feel like I'm not a good Christian? This is a question that's often asked of Christian therapists in particular. If I'm depressed, why do I feel like I'm not a good Christian? It's probably a question that most Christians have asked, because when we're depressed, we don't feel so good. And you just spoke eloquently, Marcel, about our hope in Christ, which gives us an elevated sense of well-being, obviously, when he loves us as much as he does. So how would you respond to this question? If I'm depressed, why do I feel like I'm not a good Christian?
1: Well, and thank you, Don. And that's a good question. Thank you for whoever submitted that. Because let's say you're doing the kind of things we're talking about. You're, you're affirming yourself in the truth of the Word of God. And, um, you know, the, the, there's still this gloom and, and doom. And, and you're, you know, you're making the gratitude list. You know, the, the other thing to, and I don't mean to say this in terms of every time uh, making the mistake that Job's friends did and saying that all depression is caused by sin, but look at your wife life and say, could there be sin in my life? are we feeling depressed because we're are we being disobedient in some area of our life uh also one of the things that we again there could be also a chemical imbalance even though I'm i'm a i'm serving i'm praying i'm reading i'm going to church but i'm still feeling this it could be caused by a chemical imbalance a physical uh thing going on in your brain and and that's not to be overlooked and, and so getting uh, into some your physician or a therapist to talk about this and to help you, um, these things can also then lead to medication or even uh, homeopathic. There are things you can do. Uh, exercise is proven to be, it's a clinically proven uh, cure for depression. And and you know, again, you say, Well, I'm too depressed to exercise. (laughs) How can I get up? That's one of the problems why people who are depressed usually don't do that. But it is proven to be a cure. Regular aerobic exercise can be a cure to depression. But examining all the things, what's going on with me spiritually, what's going on with me physically, you know. What's going on in terms of my relationships? You know, we're, God made us in all of these areas. We're relational beings, we're spiritual beings, we're physical beings, we're, you know, all of these things interconnect all the time. And, and this is one of the things that a good Christian therapist will be able to, a non Christian therapist can do, but the, the difference would be that a Christian therapist includes the spiritual as well as the biological, the physical. The, and, the, uh, and, and the relational aspects as well as the psychological. We can look at also the spiritual component, which a secular therapist would not. Look at all of those things and see what's going on, what could be happening.
0: It's oftentimes uh, a situation where someone feels depressed and then they're triggered back to something they've done in the past they regret having done, or said something, or someone did to them. So it actually adds on to the depression, so then I'm further down the slippery slope. What would you advise someone who experiences, which is very common, all of us are kind of nodding here. It's very common with people who come in and then the beginning, the feeling is, and, and, and I'm able to assess that I, I'm not sinning, you know, I, I, in my life you know, that, that I'm able to isolate that to realize, kind of rule that out, if you will. However, it somehow triggers me back to that regretful feeling or the sense that, oh, you know, I did that or I said that or I behaved this way or even someone did this to me or they didn't stand up for me when I had hoped and needed them to. What would you say to someone? How would you advise them, kind of building on what you just said?
2: Um, one of the things in our relationship with Christ that sometimes I think we believe we're always the exception that we're kind of in that lull that little valley everybody else seems like they're just charging forward Mm -hmm. and to realize that everybody goes through that up and down the valley the mountaintop uh, and so there is some sense of this is a normal place Um, the, the other thing is, is the vicious cycle that, that depression creates in us. Um, as, as Don already said, or, or I think Martial about not wanting to exercise, depression takes away motivation. Mm-hmm. So you don't feel like doing anything. And we almost, I guess we all know that it takes a great deal of energy to passionately follow Jesus. And so where we don't have that motivation, uh, and, and depression has taken a, that motivation away, we have to give ourselves a little bit of space to say, you know, I'm going to get through this. And exercise is, is one way in um, eating right, uh, getting professional help. But to realize that I am going to get through this, and uh, that motivation to passionately follow Jesus is going to return. Um, and uh, that it's, it's okay to give yourself a little space there. How can I tell myself
0: that it's okay to be depressed? I want to build on that. I think it's a very good concept, and I agree with it. How can I, as a Christian, if I'm facing depression, and we've been able to rule out, which means you know, I'm not behaving this way or I'm not acting in a sinful way, um, and that I can say I'm I'm really right with the Lord, and I've been able to rule out by my physician that I, I don't have a physiological problem that's causing or actually mitigating against my depression, how can I sit in the fact that it's okay? Is it okay to be depressed? I'm not just looking at Dennis here, but is it okay? Or
3: Yeah, I think it's perfectly natural to be depressed, and I think it's also a real natural process for if you kind of get in the dumps, and then you might get triggered to a past feeling that might stir up guilt, or past trauma, or past crises, or... Anything that, traumatic that you've been through—if you think about it—we've all been through various degrees of trauma just living in this world because it's a—it's a pretty harsh world. So I think our minds naturally gravitate towards resolving those issues, and it's kind of like they're on the spin cycle of the dryer, and they're just—they're just constantly trying to resolve it, resolve it, resolve it. So our minds are constantly repeating them going into and then they can like go into spiraling and negative thinking it's really easy to get caught up there so it's really important to be able to notice when you're thinking these negative thoughts and getting really stuck in the spin cycle and then no so first noticing when you're getting stuck in the spin cycle I like to call it and then stopping the spin cycle possibly replacing it with something else and um this is a really good um, plug for EMDR work. I know that some therapists out there do EMDR work where it's trauma work to help you possibly move past through any trauma work. But um, also depression can, you know, really be... um, I was gonna go into brain chemistry, but we won't go there because the doctors already ruled that out in our example, but um, it's a real natural thing and... um, and I think really to to help that, and there's this really great book by John Townsend, the guys that wrote Boundaries, and it's called How People Grow, and it's all about you know being transparent and connecting with one each with one another, and you know bringing in bonds and building relationships and connecting with one another, and you know helping each other get out of that depression and share that with someone else because you're not the only one. There are so many other people out there and you could be helping them as much as you're helping yourself by really, you know, saying, hey, I'm having a hard time,
0: help me out here. Let's go into the spin cycle for just a moment then. It just beautifully articulated what you said, I think, Jessica. Say I'm in a spin cycle, Christmas came up, I have a family member that I'm still juxtaposed in a position where we're not in a good relationship, Um, I haven't been able to resolve it, or they did something to me, they've never, uh, they've never uh, been chagrined about that or concerned about it, and I'm living with this, and so Christmas comes, I'm already starting to feel depressed, and then we move through Christmas, and I'm now more depressed because, again, once again, I'm in the spin cycle, and it's not resolved. How would you speak to someone that's faced it? That's very common, isn't it? How would you respond to that? That person. They're kind of in the spin cycle. You did refer to some CBT there and, and ways in which we can move out of that spin cycle. I think there's, I think perhaps everyone's experienced that spin cycle to some degree. I can't quite get away from this feeling and it's really creating a depressed place for me. Give us some practical advice. If there's someone in the audience or listening uh, that, that is facing that maybe every Christmas. And they try to get out of those blues, you know, eventually, uh, until they face the next Christmas. I can't help but think about the serenity prayer,
1: you know, that, uh, Jessica, help me out here. God grant me the courage serenity. to, the ser- God grant me the serenity. To
3: accept the things I cannot change.
1: To change the courage, to change the things I can, and the wisdom mm-hmm. to know the difference. And that's just the first part of that prayer, folks. There's more to it that's beautiful, which I don't have memorized, but it's something to the effect of taking this sinful world, not as I would have it, but as it is, uh, realizing hardship as a pathway to peace, living one day at a time, something to that effect. I'm messing it all up, but go and check out the rest of that prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. There are certain things in life that are beyond our ability to control. And what do we do? Are we gonna get angry, frustrated, and depressed by trying to control them, change them, or what have you? It could be a person, could be a relationship. I live with a person who, I'm very close to an individual for confidentiality's sake, I won't say her name, uh, who is in a situation like that with her sister. She'd love to spend the holidays together. It would make her mother very happy. But the sister refuses to allow into her life so what's she gonna do she gonna be depressed and frustrated and angry no I've watched her accept this and just it is what it is she'd like it to be better and different but she's I think learning the truth of the serenity prayer that we just talked about you change the things you can you accept the things that you can't and you pray for the wisdom to know the difference
0: give me steps how to go there though I mean, I would like to be there as a part of my life, but how do I get there? Steps to do that where you can accept it. What would be some steps someone would take? I mean, the serenity prayer is a great starting place for sure. Go
3: ahead, go ahead please. Um, well, kind of going along the lines of a day at a time kind of aspect, um, some things that are super helpful, um, like aromatherapy. You know, if you have to go to this family member's house or something, if you could bring something you know, that activates, that could trigger your senses, activate your brain. If you have some lavender or some orange scented whatever, something that can like stop this negative thinking that can really like take you to this beautiful, calming, soothing place. You know, really, if you have, wear nice fabrics, Mm -hmm. you know, be pleasing to your senses, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't have control over other people, places or things. But you do have control over things that you do in your environments, you know, and protect yourself, like, in your boundaries. So, you know, if you can only, if you know you're going to be crazy after an hour, only be there for an hour or... Um, and also, you know, nutrition, I think, is really, really important. Um, more protein helps the norepinephrine and serotonin and all the, the happy stuff in your brain. So I would say less carbs, more protein, more fruits and vegetables... It's bound to help, too. Excellent,
0: excellent. Any other advice? This is excellent advice.
2: I was thinking too. Our changing our expectations to preferences. Um, I think we all walk into those those situations, especially with. Uh, expecting a family member to treat us nicely, mm-hmm. uh, or expecting uh, gratitude from someone who is never going to give it to us, mm-hmm. um, the shoulds, the musts that we place upon ourselves, upon others, and changing those to preferences. I mean, that, it, it just, just making that shift in my thinking to say, uh, I have this expectation of you to, I would prefer if this happened, and what it does is it lowers that, and you're not disappointed and you're not hurt. You're not waiting for that to come that's probably never going to come. Uh, so I think just making the sometimes those little shifts in our thinking uh, improves our disposition as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. You actually answer the next question by what you've just been sharing here. How can someone move past? process a major loss in life, like death of loved one or broken relationships, to get beyond the blues, the loss of feelings that can last weeks, months, years. How can someone move past those, and you actually are responding to that? Let me move to the next question, if I may, due to our time limitations here, as we end at 8 uh, p.m. This is a very challenging question because there's lots of loss here, and it took a lot of courage to write this question. We, we have lost eight family members in this past year, including our dads. Um, there have also been health issues with our moms. The overwhelming job of, of, getting, of going through my father's things is before us. I know we must mourn our losses, yet how long of a period is the norm? I know grieving is normal, and I'm, I'm grateful, uh, for that we have uh, we, we, we have been thankful, and we don't discount our blessings. I think the question, and this is a very painful uh, question that you've done, enormous loss. Please don't underst- uh, don't underestimate. This is enormous loss. This is not just a loss. It's enormous. It's catastrophic. How would you with eight family members, in the past the question is what's the norm as the person moves through grief and trying to embrace uh, th- this horrific
2: losses I'll just say a couple words time first, we, I am so sympathetic towards grief if you if you've experienced any grief in your life at all you understand it's just so impossible to explain and, it's, uh, I th- and I don't want to minimize it by saying I even understand it because I don't. Um, but uh, I had a professor who did his doctoral dissertation in grief and so you can imagine the class was just, the, the grief just was woven through it and he once made a statement, he said that the process of grief, his research was about two years long that doesn't mean the the initial pain uh, of that the first uh, the first part of grieving is the same for two years. There is a dissipation, but I think that his point, uh, and, and that's an average. You know, it's, it's less, it's more. But his statement was is that you've got to allow yourself to process that grief and not to try to hurry through it. And I think one of the things that I have the advice I've given to other people who have friends who are grieving is to say let them grieve their own way um, it looks differently in everybody from a husband you know sometimes a husband and wife will will look at each other and say um you know hey, i think it's time you kind of caught up with me where i'm i'm kind of past that now and we don't allow each other to grieve sometimes and in so doing we i think we we can short circuit the process we 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 can just say, I'm, "I'm done with it, I'm through with it," but eventually it catches up with us again. So I would just uh, encourage you to embrace that pain of the grief and uh, allow God to really use it. And I think one of the one and my final thing is to realize that God doesn't waste pain. Mm-hmm. that the pain that you are feeling, he's not going to waste it. He, he's going to use it for your good ultimately. Don't know how. Don't know when, but he doesn't waste Mm -hmm. it, so.
0: We know know Jesus is a man of grief. I'm sitting here in this this auditorium tonight, and I'm hearing these therapists talk about grief work, which is at the heart of really tonight's uh, session. And I go, does grief mean that I just cry? What does grief mean? If I'm grieving, what am I doing, or how am I participating in this process? Can you help us with that? Building on a little bit of Dennis's initial statement, and feel free, Dennis, if you'd like to.
2: Uh, uh, I was just going to comment that uh, we are all familiar with Cuba Ross' uh, grief. Uh, the last the last uh, point that they said was acceptance, and I think what we are discovering is, is that acceptance is really the beginning of the process, that we have accepted the fact that we have had a loss in our life, now, how are we going to define, redefine our life? And that's, that's the process of grief. Acceptance, that's just the beginning. And how are we going to work through that is really the work of grief. And that's oftentimes where uh, I, I don't want to push necessarily always a therapist. But when you have a professional that is able to walk through that with you, mm-hmm. it just is so much easier and uh, can make the process easier. Um, I think, more fruitful. So
0: say I can't afford these therapists, they're awfully expensive, but I could start tomorrow doing grief work. I totally agree with what you said. But if if I I could do some practical steps, what would be some practical steps I could do as I leave this auditorium tonight, either by myself or with a loved one? And perhaps if we could engage a, a therapist, that would be great. What would be some of those practical steps?
3: I would recommend to start journaling Journalism? Just daily, maybe twice a day if you're the type of writer. Um, and I think one of the things that I think possibly women do particularly that's pretty harsh is we compare ourselves to others, you know. So I would really recommend that you drop that yardstick and drop comparing your grief, your looks, mm-hmm. your purse, your whatever to somebody else's, you know. And just really be with where you're at and forget about where you should be or what you ought to be doing and Just really get in touch with yourself. Be still. And journal with yourself what's going on. Forget about the shoulds or I ought or I shouldn't. But, you know, where are you? What is going on? Are you happy today? Are you sad today? Are you dull today? Just try to get in touch with it. And be where you're at today. Every day is a new day. Every minute's a new minute.
0: For me to be still, you know, to know there is God. To be still, I, I don't practice being still. Say I'm a person who doesn't. What would be the, the steps? Journaling, being quiet, kind of listening to yourself? Is that what you're first saying? What are some other ways to be still? The Bible talks so much about that. So,
1: Yeah, uh, that's, that's an interesting point about being still. Because, you know, it, we live in a country, American creed is kind of like, if you think about it, we are a nation of doers, Was it, Mary and Martha, which one chose the best? Mm-hmm. Was it Mary who sat at the feet? Mm-hmm. Uh, Martha, Martha, why are you worried about so many things? We're a nation of Marthas. You know, if you think of the sayings, haste makes waste, time is money. On on. I mean, we could go on and on about these American credos that get us caught up into activity instead of doing the thing we we're talking about that Jessica just mentioned, about waiting, about being still. It's hard. I heard a, I have a pastor friend, uh, Pastor Brian Scott. In fact, he's a member of the board of Center for Enriching Relationships, and he said that as he's doing his uh, devotional time, he started taking time to just sit and do nothing for a few minutes. And he just sits and be, he just sits and doesn't journal, doesn't read, doesn't pray. He just sits and he's quiet and I started trying to do that and it's amazing how hard that is number one but then number two how refreshing it was and how much that being still and quiet like that the Lord would fill my mind with things and I would say wow God yeah I mean I wasn't really trying to pray but yet I would hear this practice of maybe listening to God which is so hard for me and probably for many others but just being still just trying to take some time and just no distractions, no doing. Don't think you have to do something. And I appreciate Brian sharing that because it's been a real blessing in my life. But the other thought that I want to have in relation to this question is, like Jessica said, get rid of the idea of normal. You know, they say normal is just a setting on the dryer. You know? And just like she said, when we start comparing ourselves and we think that, well, I should be over this now, hey, you know, I have a, a flyer that I use to, help to explain grief and all of us have probably seen it. Uh, it's It's just this... Tangled like a ball of, of yarn. That's what grief is. It's this tangled ball of yarn that is just so much different stuff. And how you grieve, how I grieve is different. And we need to let each other have the freedom to do it the way that we're going to do it. Because there's no normal in that. You just got to get through it and go through it.
0: Mm-hmm. So maybe even if I'm trying to be still building on what Dennis and Jessica now you're saying... I could even, being still, just listen to myself breathe. Maybe even practice a little bit of relaxing my muscles, because I tend to be tense. That would begin to help me to maybe be still.
1: And guess what, Don? There's an app for that.
0: Oh, no, not another app. I'm serious. I have a son with apps. We have apps here and apps there. It's called
1: Breathe to Relax, Android people. I've got it on my phone. I'll show it to you afterwards. (laughs) Breathe to relax. That will help you learn how to breathe therapeutically. Okay. It's awesome.
0: Okay. Interesting. I've never heard that. We have teenage children. We're into apps. I just want you to know that. So my wife, my lovely wife, Robin, is here, and she knows all about that. Well, thank you. I want to go to the last question I think that we have tonight. Um, And this, this question is related to, and we've been able to touch on all of them. I think we've touched on this second to the last question is, how can we be successful in making resolutions, which we actually keep? And you referred to that earlier this evening. And this last question talks about, uh, the person says, I've been single for two years. I go out and do lots of fun things, though. But one time I went to Ahu. uh, Let's see, on my own, a super fun time I went. And I'm not the type to make uh, a a first uh, impression here. I'm a good person, so why does it seem that unnice people or people that are not nice can find love quickly, and I'm alone? I think this question is referring to the fact of the person feeling the aloneness, the blues here. What are things I can do? I, I don't know anything about dating. So it's really referring to how to engage others, I think it's an apropos question for how to engage others, how to, and the sense of feeling isolated and alone, this person. This is a very, very uh, painful question, but yet a very good question, just how to relate to others. Can you help us with this uh, as this person is is asking um, how to relate to others?
1: Definitely loneliness is a contributor to depression and blues that Especially during the holidays, which is why there's so many suicide attempts and things of that nature, they're magnified during this when everybody is with somebody, everybody has family. But it's it's a very common thing to go through, and it, it's uh, well, I guess again, in response to the question. One of the things that came to my mind was uh, many times, in order to have friends, we need to be a friend, and and so sometime maybe thinking about well, okay. It's not so much about me. I'm going to go and serve others. I'm going to do things for others. Mm-hmm. And instead of waiting for people to come to me and be a, befriend me, I'm going to reach out and start being friendly to other people. And hopefully then, as a result of that, they'll reciprocate. They may not, but that's okay. You're still doing your part. It'll get you outside of yourself. Uh, in terms of reaching out, then I'm thinking also about maybe there's uh, trying to get involved and plugged into the church and the spiritual, you know, the groups in the spiritual community in the church that might be applicable into the age group or, you know, to like-minded kind of individuals if there's other singles in the different church groups. And if there's not, there are single clubs that, groups that are out there, secular. hate to go there, but they're out there. But look to the church first to try to find that need for Relationship and get connecting with other people would be my first suggestion and then be a friend try to be a friend And and you'll it's amazing how you'll find that maybe that will meet that need for loneliness
0: Most churches offer volunteer work opportunities also. I know skyline does here That would be another way to express yourself giving to other people wouldn't it?
1: Volunteering at a hospital, uh, mm-hmm. you know, different places—they're always like looking for people's needs like that.
3: Yeah, yes. volunteer work—that's a great idea. Also, I think um, just learning the art of small talk. Mm. I was in Starbucks the other day, and this lady—I'm not too much of an extrovert—but this lady came up to me, and she's like, "La la 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 la," talking about my earrings or something. I'm like, "Wow, she was so good at that—just the mm. art of small talk." Just mm-hmm. she complimented me on something, and then. We just started going in this dialogue back and forth, and it was just so pleasant. And um, I remember one time I was feeling isolated and depressed myself, and um, one of my mentors was saying, Well, just pretend like some look for someone else in the room who looks like they might be more scared than you, (laughs) and go talk to them. And it totally worked. And, um, you know, cause there's other people in the, your same shoes and, mm. you know, really getting out of yourself and being of service to others. And really, I would say, um, work on some small talk. And then one more thing real fast. Also, if you have a good friend who you don't feel will, um, use it in a mean way or something, but also it might be helpful to ask them, you know, what is your assessment of me in a social situation? Mm. You know? Maybe for them to take your inventory. Am I coming off cold, mean? Am I looking uninterested? Do I need to be more flirtatious? Could be
0: helpful. So the person who looked at me one day and said, You know, you don't smile a lot. You need to smile more. That was helpful, I wasn't it? Was I didn't realize I wasn't smiling. But you
3: had no idea. Yes. Yeah, now yes. you're very smiley. <laughs>
0: So those are helpful to get someone else that might be of help in the in the process. It's very insightful. Yes, Our
2: I, 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 Time is just about up. Um, my brother, uh, who's a couple years older than I am, uh, just went through a divorce. A 30-year marriage fell apart. And, mm-hmm. uh, this was about three or four years ago that it actually happened. And since then, he got very involved in his uh, singles group at his church. So involved, in fact, and so enthusiastic that he was—he was appointed as singles pastor. Uh, and I have just seen him revel in being single, and he—he uh, he has just enjoyed the whole singleness. Now I know that if you've been single for many years, you might say, "I'm done with singleness. I want to be married." But I think that people are attracted to people who enjoy life, and so uh, he is. He's also not gone into it thinking, this is the woman for me, you know, that he's, he's got a dozen women friends and, uh, he, you know, he just, he just enjoys their friendship. And I, I, speaking as a man, I like, I think I've enjoyed women who just, say, I just want to be a friend. There's nothing romantic here. And I think that oftentimes, uh, well, with my wife and I, that led to marriage. But uh, (laughs) we want, uh, guys want uh, female friends without the pressure. And Mm -hmm. and I think women do as well. So uh, going into it with that attitude of, let's just have fun and uh, let's spend some time together.
0: Excellent. Well, I know our time is up. We want to honor the 8 o'clock hour, and would you join me in thanking our panel members this evening? <laughs> this was outstanding. Thank you for those comments, and uh, very, very helpful. There are unique questions that come. That's the the most fun part of this, I think, and in what uh, we participate in. I want to thank you for coming this evening. If you'll notice, the next slide here talks about our February, my therapist says, which talks about an anxious free life. Anxiety is one of the leading disabling factors in mental health today, or people's lives, but in the mental health field. Typically when there's depression, which was what we were talking about tonight, there is anxiety. They tend to cohabitate. And so if you face anxiety, or if you have a family or friend who does, this would be a great invitation uh, to next My Therapist Says. That's in February. We have a great panel. If you see, we have both Dennis and Jessica who will be rejoining us uh, in the next My Therapist Says. So that's Wednesday, February 1, 645 to 8. So thank you again for coming this evening. I'd like to have a word of prayer, and then we'll all at our different ways, shall we pray together? Father, thank you so much that you're the one who invited us to rest in you, to be still and and know that I am God, to lean heavily into your heart of peace and joy. And as was shared early on, if we could only accept the grace of God at deep levels, we would fill your hope. You would be filling us with your hope and we would be able to manage much better whatever depression we are facing. Thank you, Father, for these truths that were shared here tonight. We pray in the name of Jesus that you enable every person who has been listening, participating tonight, that anything that does not honor you would be dropped and we would not remember it, and that every truth, every nugget that came from your heart would just be instilled within our souls so that we would have your resources in the midst of whatever we may face. Thanks be to God for your grace that sets us free. Thanks be to God for the truth that enables us to find great joy and peace in this world. Bless these good people, bless us now as we go, and we will give you praise and honor that is due you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you, and uh, our therapist will be in the back if you want to wait just a moment if you would like to talk with one of them, and I hope you have a great, great evening.